0: You are listening to Reju Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Welcome back to Millennium Discourses with Sajad Ayyub and Sheikh Ibrahim Skaitama. Thank you for joining us again. We'll straight, you're welcome uh we'll go straight into discourse too which is patience and gratitude seeing things as they are you mentioned that there's a lot of stupid people in paradise because they're not trying to figure it out hmm. can you elaborate on that
1: well if so uh, you know, as we indicated last, last time we spoke that the, we are uniquely designed to be worshipful beings, we, mm. we, you know, and, and by being worshipful means that we are in awe, we are amazed, and we are amazed and in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are amazed and in awe of him and his genius. Now, um, that comes at a price. To affirm his genius means that I recognize that mine is inadequate. One of the problems of intelligence is um, a claim to adequacy. I can work it out. I know. I'm in charge. I can manage outcomes. I, I can make things, uh, I, I can produce things to my and other people's benefit. This uh, this assumption that we can lord it over the world is, with many people, is increased the more intelligent they are because they they, they do learn how to play play the game of of life. Um, so so actually, in terms of the our highest possibility, which is the capacity to surrender to give up to say. Actually, I'm not adequate because that's what surrender says. I can't work this out. I'm not intelligent enough. Um, uh, I'm not the master of my own affair. That's 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 almost like an admission of stupidity. It's an admission of not of inadequacy. So so people who aren't very clever get there quicker. Which means that people who aren't very clever end up at a st- station of sincere worshipfulness more easily than people who, who are intelligent enough to congratulate themselves with the fact that they are in charge of their lives, yeah. who think that they can be in charge of their lives and produce outcomes beneficial to themselves.
0: Right. Hmm. And so the second question is, what do you mean by
1: enlightenment? So, um. So this is a nuanced thing for me, Sajjad. It's something that's happened to me. So, so, I don't think that my take on that term is the same as it was when I wrote the text, Millennium Discourses. Mm. Because, I mean, the Millennium Discourses, most of those discourses were literally written 20 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, so, so, at the millennium. Um,
0: How does that have an effect on, on today, 20 years on?
1: So, I think my, my take on the experience is a little bit more nuanced. Um, I, uh, you, you know, so if you were, like myself, a child in the 60s, you would have had, you would have been, or, or the 70s, you would have been exposed to the sort of the growing wave of popular mysticism. And I'd suggest a lot of people ended up doing in inner traditions, whether it was Tasavuf or um, uh, yoga or whatever, or even Christian mysticism, they ended up because they came through, you know, of my generation, they came through the experimentation with the mystical in the 60s and the 70s. And then there was this idea, which was, I suppose, a very um sort of uh sort of indian view of enlightenment of sort of escaping one's um uh, sort of uh, uh, relative identity to find your 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 deep soul you know underneath at all and and, and I dare say, many people, uh, myself included, would have had experiences at that time to suggest that this is true, but that, this experience, that there is an experience of a vastness that sits behind your, your kind of normal experience of yourself, which the more you seated in that, you do feel yourself, in a sense, enlightened, in a sense, you know, sort of transcending the, the, um, the darkness of most people's day-to-day experience. With the benefit of another 20 years on that that view, I, I think that actually this isn't an outcome enlightenment. In other words, if you're using a metaphor of shade to explain what we're talking about, yeah, if the one end of enlightenment would be complete darkness and the other end would be complete light and you have various phases of gray between them the problem with the term it suggests that there's a point on the extremity of light where you can't reverse him, you are enlightened mm. because, you know, there's like all the well i don't think that my robbers worked with me like that because he's just as i thought i was about to crack the code he threw me back into comparative darkness it's been an ongoing clarifying so maybe, I don't know if the word that you want you'd rather use is enlightening. Hmm. That is an ongoing process word rather than enlightenment. Something that comments on a state or a station. Because I do experience that my journey has been an ongoing enlightening. And that even in times where, where I felt I'd kind of had achieved, in fact, my most dangerous times have been times that I used to would congratulate myself with having achieved some kind of an insight. The moment that happened, I—I I mean, there would be some catastrophe lurking for me behind the next bush, that would knock me completely into disarray again. You see, so, so I, I think it's the way to look at the distinction between darkness and enlightenment is to think, well, maybe this is not a destination word; it's a direction word, like a compass. Yeah, you know, a compass doesn't tell you you're in the north. Ever. A compass tells you where the north is. And from one point of view, you never actually ever finally get into the north in terms of this game. You know, there's always a next step forward. That's why you're alive. If you weren't, if there wasn't a next step forward, you would be dead. There's always a next step forward. There's another thing to be discovered in your life. And so you're on a process of of enlightening. Not a process, not concerned with a, an absolute outcome of enlightenment having arrived and now congratulating yourself with the station of, um, of supreme insight into all things. I think that's a, 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 an unuseful way of looking at things and it's been unuseful for me in my, in my, in my journey, actually. So over, over a period of time, I've had to stay um real about my frailty yeah, the, and my inadequacy
0: and point three is you talk about these veils being veils of language can you elaborate more on that
1: yeah, so uh you can imagine if you had many veils physical veils mm-hmm. in front of you you would the, each layer of veil makes the world that you see less clear yes more fuzzy less and you actually don't see the world properly actually looking more at veil than what you are eventually you might just see light and dark shadow you might not even see forms anymore so that that's why the metaphor of veiling works but the, the problem is that we don't just have veils between our eyes and the objects we're looking at. We also have veils between our eyes and the thing that is doing the looking on the inside. So inside you, there's a looker. He's not even called sajad. It's a convention that you've given that thing. Yes. We don't quite know the nature of that thing. That is, thing is somewhat outside of what language can deal with. It's very big. Hidden from our view. Yeah. So there's a looker who Mm. sits behind your eyes, who looks through your being. But the problem is that looker doesn't see the world. Because just like there's veiling, there could be veiling between your eyes and the world, there's veiling between your eyes and the looker. And that veiling is the ongoing commentary that you have on the world you're walking through. You You don't see the world. You see your prejudices about the world. Mm. So, a very nice kind of example and almost metaphor. This is the phenomenon of walking into a glass door. It happens quite often here because most of the doors in the Zare are glass. So, people very often walk into glass doors here. Um, and one says, "Well, h- how does that happen?" Uh, and the person would say, "Well, well, I mean, I didn't deliberately walk into the door. You know, I mean, nobody does." So why did you walk into the door? Well, I I didn't see it. Well, why didn't you see it? Well, I was distracted. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you stopped and looked, there'd be enough sensory stimulus coming from the door for you to see, hold on, there's a glass door in front of me. But your attention was elsewhere. There was something else soaking up. So you were literally blind to what was there. There was a veil between you and the sensory stimulus that was coming through your, between, there was a veil between the looker and the sensory stimulus coming into your eyes. That veil is the ongoing commentary that we're having about our life, about the past, about the future, about our desires. It makes us blind. The more th- our commentary on the world that goes on on the inside soaks up attention, and that soaking up of attention is literally like dumbing down, veiling. Uh, 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 the, the, what we actually see in the world. So um, uh, the, 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 the process of growth is a process of quietening down what goes on inside you so that there's less veil between the thing that looks, that sits behind your eyes, and the world it's looking at. Because then you see the world that it is. Because the world that it is, no matter how objectionable you may think it is, the world that that is out there is his creation. And he only deals in perfection. Mm. He only does that which is extraordinary. He only does that which is amazing. Which means to say that if you're in a situation you're not amazed, you're not seeing the thing as it is. Mm. You're veiled. There's a noise between the looker and the eyeball that creates the condition the looker doesn't see with the stimulus that's actually hitting the eyeball. You know, if you aren't quite honestly, if you if seeing things as they are isn't good enough for you, you are not seeing things as they are. Mm. How does
0: that how does that work with language? Because you mentioned here that there's veils and then there's veils of language as well. How does that work?
1: Well, it's the, for me that's the same thing because it's the the, the 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 structure of the ongoing sort of agitation on the inside is linguistic, right? Yes, but it's not necessarily just audio. It's linguistic in the sense of meaning. Mm. Um, so, so I mean, if you. If, you know, we spoke about this a previous time, we could find this little camera that we can secret in through your ear, <laughs> and record what's going on in your head, then, then, um, I mean, it won't just be words going on in your head. There'd be, there'd, there'd be a lot of imagery. Mm. We, we, a lot of our thinking is in pictures. Um, there could be, in fact, the whole gamut of sensory apparatus could be, you, there could be a smell or sort of, um, or, or feeling, kinesthetic stuff, you know, kind of like a chilliness in the, part of what makes up what's going on inside us is how we feel in our skins. I mean, like uh, the cold grip of fear in this pit of your stomach, or the, the, um, the, the, the tight grip of, of, of uh, sadness in the throat, or these are physiological. So, what goes on on the inside, although it's it's driven by our comment about the world, our, it, it isn't just the language that you and I think of as language. It is like uh, through uh, sort of a uh, it's like a, a multimedia sort of uh, construct. You know, it does follow the rules of language: past, present, future. Um, you know, kind of. Uh it's, it's distinction between subject object it has all of that, but it's not just talk, not just noise. Thank okay. you.
0: The secret to making a success is to dismiss nothing. What do you mean by
1: that? You mentioned that in chapter two. So we've said that the we're to be worshipful mm-hmm. means to be in a state of awe, and awe means to be amazed at the extraordinary nature of what you are looking at. You know, this is, wow, isn't that amazing? So if you want to see the human being at their highest, put them at the highest. Put them on a very high mountain, where they have a stunning view. A br- literally breathtaking, we've been made to be breathtaking, so a breathtaking view so we can really see things as they are you know, I can't see things as they are now because I'm stuck in a room, but if I that doesn't mean to say that the rest of all of that out there and the stars and all of that they haven't, gone, they haven't gone away, they're still there, I'm just not seeing them, so if I afford myself the opportunity to see things as they are I see that things are truly truly amazing I mean, they they really are and that that's always true so to be correctly human means to always in, to be on an ongoing basis in a state of awe and amazement. Even if things don't look like they're amazing. Because the logical. logic of this is that there's, he, is this, he has scripted every moment that sits in front of you. And every moment that sits in front of you is stupendous. The reason why you're not stupefied by it, because it is stupendous, is because you don't see it as it is. So one of the tricks that you can play on yourself to get beyond your arrogance of trivializing what's in front of you and diminishing and dismissing it, so that you can have a sense of all, is to don't trivialize any, Don't dismiss anything. So... This thing might look like it's d- uh, a diminished and demeaned thing to me. Um, uh, uh, I'm I know I'm not seeing it as it is, so although I would like to trivialize and demean it, I don't allow myself to do that. I dismiss nothing, I grant everything, I see everything as significant. Mm. Which also helps one's sense of carefulness. And the other tra- the thing you spoke about, your courtesy. Because, so my Sheikh, Sheikh Mustafa, had, there was a wonderful story spoken about him once, um, uh, told about him, rather. He, he was in a, you know, he lived near a town called, uh, or a village called uh, Bani Ayat in Morocco. And there was a souk in the village. And he once went to the, the souk. And uh, a young man who was known in the area, but I think like a, you know, a, a crack addict, I mean, it was like a known crack addict, came up to the sheikh and asked him for money, and the sheikh, I think he was a bit distracted at the time, he was a bit irritable, he dismissed the, the kid, he said, go away. The next day, he was, the sheikh was a little bit agitated, he, he, he called, um, I think it was his nephew that was with him at the time, he said, Idris, come, uh, I've got to fix this. That wasn't right. That happened yesterday. Take me back to the market. They went back to the market. They sought out this young crackhead. And the sheikh said, please excuse my discourtesy to you yesterday. Here's the money you ask for. I'm sorry I was dismissive of you. That's a sheikh acting. That's a person who knows that as soon as that... that, Don't bother me with this. That dismissiveness comes over you. That's that you are just, you are overlooking something that might actually not only be a benefit to you, but by overlooking it, you might cause an insult that could be harmful to you. So so another way of understanding this is we don't believe that everybody is equal on this path. We believe that there are some souls... Who are, are uniquely blessed with carrying the first call to man, which is be the worshipful one, be the witness that I am the Rah, that He is the Rah. Those people are the elite of the elite. Those people are the cream, the creme de la creme of the human being. All other human beings are beneath them. The problem is that you have absolutely no outward evidence for who those people are. That person could be the beggar sitting on, that person could be the crackhead on the corner. You don't know that inwardly this person is the the most beloved of the rabbi, the most worshipful of us all. You don't know. So you walk past the guy, you see he's smelly, disreveled, looks like he's stoned out of his skull. Actually, he's as high as a kite on the remembrance of his rub, and you insult him. Now, you've just insulted one of the deepest, closest friends to the rab. You've picked a fight with a friend of the, of the, the lord of it all. That's not clever. Wow. So you dismiss nothing. You dismiss no one. You might say to yourself, "Look, I mean, it doesn't look right to me." Then, with courtesy, you sidestep the thing, but you don't demean it, denigrate it, look down your nose at it, and try and brutalize it and and and, diminu- and, and trivialize it. You sidestep it. That's perfectly legitimate. But you don't trivialize anything. You don't demean, diminish anyone. You know. The, the, the beggar sitting outside your door may very well be one of the princes of this universe. You never know. Be careful who you dismiss. And be careful what you dismiss. That's a
0: revelation. That is a real revelation. I had a, I had a similar thing yesterday where hmm. I was driving and I had somebody who came up and he was he was a beggar <clears throat> he was a beggar and the particular road that I was in in London at the time he I stopped the car and I saw him he caught my eye and it was in that moment he caught my eye and he was hobbling and I thought what must he be going through and he walked around to each one of the cars hmm. I'm gonna drive back there <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna drive back there because I had that thought So after after what you've just shared, Mm. I need to go back there and say, I'm going to find him. Mm. I love that story. I love the story of the sheikh. Mm. I'll definitely take that on. Next question, thank you for that. Very insightful.
1: Thank you, thank you sir.
0: Very, very insightful. The meaning of the thing is hidden in its opposite. Can you explain that? So the meaning of the thing is hidden in its opposite.
1: And to complete that statement. The opposite is what becomes manifest in the fullness of time. So. Is there anything that you particularly like, enjoy eating? Eating? Yes. Absolutely.
0: Watermelon. Watermelon. Okay.
1: Is watermelon good? Yes. For me. How many watermelons?
0: Half a watermelon, depending on the size of it.
1: Okay. Is there a point at which watermelon in the fullness of time becomes a curse?
0: Yes, if you you consume
1: too much. Yeah. Or if you're allowed to go back, I've been terribly ill on watermelon that went off yes so in the fullness of time Mm. the thing the blessing transmutes itself into something else Mm. and this is a bit of a crude example but i mean it's clear for instance that the child loves sweets you cannot give the child unrestricted that actually the thing that we love is very often the thing that is not very good for us Mm. you know and the thing that we dislike I mean, it says in Quran, you know, uh, when Allah describes warfare, it might be that the thi- you don't like a thing that is good for you. Mm. you know, human beings are, by definition, we're actually like all mammals. All mammals are fundamentally lazy creatures. We, and it's, it's, it's a survival trick, you know, we kind of, we don't like to waste energy. You know? So, um, but that slothfulness can be very destructive to us. So that which affirms us, that which makes us relax, that, that isn't helpful to us. That gets us to become slovenly, sloppy, and a little bit pudgy and, 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 and useless. That which challenges us, that which we find an impingement on our lives, causes us to aspire, to get up, to transcend, to act, to struggle. So that which affirms us um, is nice for us while it happens, um um but actually then causes us to so if I said to you so Sajjad you're fantastic you don't have to do anything else ever again you know I mean you know and if you truly bought that PR from me what would you sit down you wouldn't do anything else ever again I wouldn't that, I would. that if you got absolute inf- affirmation it'll be absolute curse for you yeah I'm gonna have to stop
0: you there sir because yeah. we've come we've run out of time oh yeah. Thank you very much again. Listeners, you are listening to Millennium Discourses. We will be back tomorrow with another topic. We would like to thank Edsco Skatema. Till tomorrow, Allah Hafiz from us all.